200. XDX FM, Pittsburgh. Brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing. Count on a name you can trust. It's the 5 o'clock hour of the Mark Madden Show. If you're just tuning in, you missed the conversation that we had earlier in the program. It's worth revisiting, and it relates to both the NFL and the NHL. Sidney Crosby, now 31 years of age, I gave you a long list of great hockey players who played well into their 30s and sometimes even their 40s, and many of them did fantastic things late in their careers. Win scoring titles, Hart Trophies, Conn Smythes, but not as many Stanley Cups as they did earlier in their career, and I just wonder, does Sid have one more in him? According to the web poll that I put up online at Tim Benz PGH, 90% of you say Sidney Crosby has at least one more Stanley Cup in him in Pittsburgh, not somewhere else, not chasing a ring like Mark Messier or Ray Bork or something like that, but at least one more ring in Pittsburgh. I think you're right. I agree. I think he's going to get one more, but I'm not 90% sure as the rate of votes coming in. Now, how about Ben Roethlisberger? 32% of you said that Ben Roethlisberger and Sidney Crosby both will get one more. And uh, only 3% of you said just Ben. So I guess that means 35% of you think Ben Roethlisberger will get one more ring as the Steelers quarterback. Again, not pulling a Peyton Manning, not pulling a Brett Favre, and trying to win one elsewhere. But here in Pittsburgh, I think... This is Ben's last best chance. I think this is Ben's last best opportunity to do so because Bell will be gone. A.B. will be another year older, as will that entire offensive line, and there'll be at least one change on it, you would think, at guard and maybe another at right tackle. And I don't think that the defense is as close to a full, proper rebuilding project as we want to believe. So we can talk about the likelihood of both. You could tell me if you are on board with this overwhelming sentiment that Sid will definitely get one. And like I said, I tend to agree, but I think it's more of a question than just a foregone conclusion. You know, that kind of response rate you could have gotten back in, oh, I don't know, the start of the 2010 season after they won the first one with him here in 2009. I would have told you then, yeah, I think Sid is definitely going to get one more especially with the team around him. And I wouldn't mind going down the Evgeny Malkin path on this front, too, because as the Steelers will probably have to rebuild at least one side of the football to get Roethlisberger one more ring, the Penguins, if they don't do it this year, they're going to go through potentially a second rebuild around Sid and Geno. And does Geno have to be here for Sid to get his fourth cup? Do they have to do it together? And the more I think about it, the more... You have to inexorably link those two together, do you not? I know a lot of people think of Sid as one and Gino as one A, but if they do every championship together, especially one more, and especially with Gino being as good as he has been, as close to as good as Crosby many times over in the playoffs, when they build the statue of Sidney Crosby, you got to do it with Evgeny Malkin and put them both together. 412-333-9939. Thirty-nine. You can tweet at Tim Benz PGH. We also had a really in-depth conversation about the anthem debate as well. And a lot of the sentiment has been, well, why don't we stop talking about it 
And if we stop talking about it, then it'll just go away. And yeah, and that's fine from those who want to stand from the anthem. That's the easy thing to do is to have the players stop protesting. But now it's gotten to the point where we're asking ourselves the question, how do we make that happen? And part of making that happen is you've got to come up with a policy. That's why I raised it again. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I prefer to just talk about football. Let's talk about how Ben Roethlisberger wins another Super Bowl. Let's talk about the hilarity that is the Cleveland Browns. Let's talk about the on-field stuff that Aaron Rodgers brought up that wasn't anthem-related. Sure, let's do that. But, you know, the anthem storyline has been a connecting thread for the last, what, two years now of NFL football action. We've just we've talked about it nonstop. So given that, we've had this burp in the space-time continuum where once again during the off-season of all things, this came up as a topic and we still haven't figured out what the players are supposed to do. I don't know how you avoid talking about it now when we still don't have an answer as to what to do next. I don't think the answer to this question is just don't have a policy. Just not having a policy sort of got you in hot water in the first place. 412-333-9939. Corey's calling from his car. Hi, Corey. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Good afternoon, sir. How are you today? Okay. I wanted to touch on the uh, anthem debate. I find it fascinating how it's developed over the past couple of years. As a previous caller had mentioned, he was not even quite sure why Kaepernick was protesting. And you had kind of alluded to, you know, that falls on Kaepernick. He was pretty clear with why he was doing it, and it was immediately. And people seem to to have taken what he did and why he did it and ran with it in their own direction. They made it because of the flag. They made it because of disrespect to the military. Meanwhile, if you remember, when he first did it, he sat. He sat on the bench away from the team. Right. And it was a military veteran who asked him to kneel as to respect the men and women that are serving in the military, but still maintain his protest. Yeah, but that was, that was PR massaging, though, at that point, don't you think? But he didn't have to do that, though. I mean, he could have continued to sit. He could have done something different. But somebody made a direct request. So what he was trying to do was bring attention to something that he feels very strongly about. A lot of people do. But it wasn't but smart, there, though. That's not the way to do it for the exact reasons why we're talking about it right well, now. Well, here's my, here's my question, because this came up. A lot of people had a lot of things to say. I don't know if you watched the, uh, the Hall of Fame induction where Randy Moss had a tie on with the names of people that have been killed, you know, in officer-related right. shootings. Yes. And a lot of people had a problem with that. See, people, and then you have the incident on the parkway, people blocking the parkway uh, over Antoine Rose. And I can understand people want other people to protest peacefully in an uninterruptive manner, and, and I can understand that. But even when people do that, you still people still complain. They find no, 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 something but here's wrong. The problem. No, I hear you, Corey. When, Corey I hear when you. does he get the opportunity to protest? When is the right time for someone to protest that? I think it's more people just don't want to hear it. Well, why doesn't he do what Randy Moss did and write, take the fine and write the names of people on your headband like Jim McMahon used to do or write it on your wristband or write it on your cleats and take the fine if it's that important to you? I understand what you're saying, but isn't it up to him to determine how he protests what he feels? Uh, not, if it lo- not, not if it loses the message. Well, I can tell him. I can tell him how to do it because because that exact phone call. Because people don't know what he's protesting about anymore. Because but, it wasn't smart to bring the flag into it. Because if you bring the flag into it, people just focus on the flag and they lose the direction of what he was talking about in the first place. 
Now, you, I can agree with you on that. But it was it was time, unintelligent. It was a poor strategy is what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it, we're talking about it two years later. I, I hardly think it was a poor strategy. Well, I mean, no, because no, we're still talking about the flag. We're not talking about police brutality. Like what Randy Moss did was smart. From If that's what they're really wanting to talk about. Thanks for the call, Corey. I got to hit some other people. But he got it off topic. He got it off track. That was the issue. And like you said about Antoine Rose, that's why I get as incensed as I do, is that if you're telling me, as NFL players are, that this issue is so very important to them, I didn't see a tweet, I didn't see an Instagram post, I didn't see a soundbite, I didn't see a story, a quote, a single thing aside from one tweet from Antonio Brown about Antoine Rose. Not one. And you aren't allowed to be ignorant of that story if this storyline is so important to you. You know, when that was going on, I went through Chris Long, um, Kendrick, uh, who are the other guys? Malcolm Jenkins, a lot of the, uh, Eric Reed, a lot of the outspoken guys when it comes to the flag protest, or excuse me, the uh, uh, protest of the anthem. And they didn't say, they were talking about commuting sentences of nonviolent offenders. On the day that Antoine Rose was being buried, you aren't allowed to not have an opinion or not follow this if you think it's that important. And they acted like it never happened. Chuck calling from the car. You're on 105.9 The X. Yeah, Tim. I'm just curious. What would your most ideal way for people to protest in the NFL? Like what I just said, I, have them I, 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 I would go ahead, take the sacrifice, take the hit, um, if it's actually about victims of police brutality, then you do kind of like what Randy Moss did. You put something on your uniform in that regard. Uh, you make the networks have the uncomfortable moment of somehow dodging that. And if you're a star player and you're on camera all the time, well, then what are they going to do about it? Uh, I think that's how you do it, uh, as opposed to standing on the sideline or kneeling on the sideline uh, for the anthem when the anthem really has nothing to do with the point of your protest. And as soon as you bring it up, it gets the whole conversation off track. Well, there's a real easy way to fix this. Either you stop police brutality or you could, uh, you know, just not have them come out for the anthem and not have that military propaganda contract anymore. Well, again, that's what I keep saying. I think it would be smart if they go the college route and do that. But now the issue is winning and losing. It's not about what's smart. It's not about what's, um, I don't know, uh, easy or pragmatic anymore, expeditious. Now everybody views it as winning and losing. If they stay inside the locker room, then, you know, the players can say, well, we're having our freedom of expression taken away. And that doesn't solve anything because it makes the Trumpies all mad because they want to force them. Now it's about them winning, forcing all 45 players in uniform to stand. If they're not out there, the Trumpies get mad about that, too. Bobby and Carnegie, you're on 105.9 The X. I guess you would probably call me a Trumpie, but... Uh, I got thinking about this the other day. I'm driving down the road, and I'm thinking, you know, if somebody didn't protest years ago, we wouldn't have, we would still have separate bathrooms. We would still have separate water fountains. Uh, there has to come a time where there is peaceful protest allowed, okay? And I'm all for it, and it should be allowed. Well, it's allowed, but has it been effective? I mean, are we, are we well, seeing... Well, no, no, I agree. I don't think it's effective. The same way the... The Trumpies want, like, the, that you just referred to, the only way they'll be satisfied is if everybody's standing. And I sometimes wonder if it gets too demonized, if some people on the left that didn't like uh, Tim Tebow, for instance, let's say he would have started kneeling 
for whatever religious belief he had. You know, if he was against... Yeah, I never got the Tebow thing, Bobby, to be honest with you. I, I, well, I don't know well, why. Like People people used to refer to Tebow as being a... Con- thank you. Uh, people refer to him as a controversial figure. I don't. I never knew what was controversial about Tebow. <laughs> I was like the last person on board with that story. Like why he was a flashpoint for criticism aside from the fact that I thought he was just an SEC college quarterback and couldn't throw. Until he was throwing against the Steelers in the playoffs against a much better team. Not that I'm still bitter. Plenty more to come on the Anthem NFL. And uh, one baseball thought, too. Dayon Kovacevic is going to join us at 530. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius, big fan, big fan. Hashtag best in the world. You are the super genius. <laughs> I'll say. And then some. The X at 105.9. Tim Benz back with you in for Mark Madden today. Dayon Kovacevic coming up in just a little bit. Boy, tough times of late for Shady McCoy. First, Lev Bell. Ripped him in a rap song. And now we've got this story. Bob just tweeted it out at Madden Producer. Uh, Singer K. Michelle called Shady a one-minute man and said he's not really well-endowed. Well, now it's gotten serious. And by the way, uh, since we're going to play the Hard Knocks clips coming up a little bit later on again from uh, Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson and the fabulous Jarvis Landry clip, Episode one of the Cleveland Browns Hard Knocks. Jim Brown, uh, renowned for being at the forefront of a social rights movement himself, to go back to that other caller's previous point in the last segment, said he'd never kneeled during the anthem. That was in Hard Knocks too, apparently. I guess he said something to that effect. So, um, yeah, I just, I think Kaepernick missed the boat with the uh, connection he was trying to make and made the situation worse, not better 412-333-9939 one quick thought before i go back to the uh, phone calls here i wanted to make one reference uh, to baseball and maybe this will come up with day on two during our conversation but you know uh, jameson tyon pitched a complete game last night in uh, colorado i guess only 52 complete games have been turned in in 2500 contests at coors field by the opposing pitcher so he pitches a complete game last night for the pirates they win really good outing from tie on and he's got two complete games and no one has more than that in the national league right now i think he's the only national league pitcher with two complete games and that has engendered quite a bit of conversation and bemoaning of oh, back in my day I used to see complete games all the time bob gibson actually threw 400 complete games in one season back in 1968 you know and I remember when a 2-1 complete game meant something. Okay, all right. This never would have happened with the 1979 Pirates, like back when baseball really mattered. I just watched the 1979 Game 7 again the other day. My dad and I stumbled upon the DVD when I was in vacation, or on vacation up at his place. We just we watched it. We just popped it and watched it for the heck of it. Do you know that Earl Weaver made five pitching changes in one inning in that game. 1979. This isn't as new of a phenomenon as we pretend that it is. He used five pitchers in the ninth inning. Chuck Tanner pulled Jim Bibby when he had given up one run in four innings and had walked no one. He gave up a solo homer. That was it. And he went to Don Robinson in the fourth. 
So, you know, this has been going on. Like, our, our minds tend to morph to how we want to present the narration of a story, right? But sure, I mean, no one pitches complete games anymore. I get it. It's even more of a lost art than it used to be. And I'm not a fan. Like, Tyler Glass now has had two really good outings for the Tampa Rays. But part of the reason is, as opposed to when he was a starter, when he came up here, he knows he can empty the tank, throw as hard as he wants, doesn't care where it's going to go, and just try to strike people out. He's not going to have to worry about his arm in two innings because he's coming out after three. And that's the way that the Rays are doing things now. And a lot of people think that is going to be the wave of the future. And I'll connect it to football this way, because this actually might be good for the Pirates. If you can devalue starting pitchers to what running backs at least were before Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell, that's great. It evens the playing field. If you're going to do that and everybody can find pitchers that can now empty the tank at three innings a pop, yeah, those guys will get more than what middle relievers usually get. But no one's getting Kershaw money anymore. No one's getting Verlander money anymore or anything like that. That could help the Pirates. If you can find guys that can pitch three innings at a time as opposed to finding five guys that need to go six, that ain't so bad. That actually evens the playing field, I think. You can stumble onto a running back like they stumbled onto Willie Parker. You can stumble onto a running back like they stumbled onto Moelde Moore or Barry Foster or Bam Morris over the years. Same sort of thing with pitchers if you're going to devalue the position that much. Take your thoughts there, too. 412-333-9939. go to Tim in Carnegie. Hi, Tim. You're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Here's my, here's my view on the whole Kaepernick and National Anthem thing. Uh, police brutality, it's, it's a national issue. It's happening all across this country. National Anthem is, is supposed to represent this nation. And anybody that stands for the National Anthem should want to stand for the rights of the people that live in this country. So why not use the National Anthem to, to make that your platform to say, hey, listen, this is a national problem. There needs to be national attention. And if you don't like it and you think that, you know... Well, the, an- the, answer, man, the answer is the self-defeating part of that, Tim, which is people think he's protesting the song and don't see the connection to police brutality. Uh, well, those, people, those people are just not using their head then. Well, no, they're just they're ignorant of the topic is what they are. And it got so far flung so fast that people outside of the sports world latched onto the story well after the fact it advanced beyond the whole police brutality thing. You know, there's a whole layer of people who are angry at the NFL players that aren't even angry at Kaepernick because they don't know that he started it. They don't even know about the pig socks thing. They just know that they're sitting for the anthem, and that makes them mad. Dan Kovacevic next from DKPittsburghSports.com on the X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, I uh, love the show, man. Hey, Mark, how you doing, pal? All hail double M. The X at 105.9. Wow, Francisco Cervelli is concussed so bad he thinks he's Benito Santiago in, the pri- in his prime or something. What a throw that was. But I think the new guy missed the tag. Which of this gets overturned. Tim Ben's in for Mark Madden. Dan Kovacevic from DKPittsburghSports.com joins me right now. He'll be in for Mark tomorrow. I'm in for Mark today. Dan was in yesterday. Dan, let's talk about your topics from yesterday before we get to mine today and maybe one of yours tomorrow. Uh, and that was about the Pirates and the Chris Archer trade and why it was done. Uh, first of all, what did you think of his outing today as opposed to what he gave everybody to see at PNC Park in his first effort? 
Yeah, it's hard to evaluate anybody at Coors Field. You know that, Tim. Uh, the, the the numbers and uh, the altitude and the scope of the outfield and everything else that's involved. I, I guess if there's one thing that you're looking for from Archer is more swings and misses. He had, uh, out of his 96 pitches, he had 23 pitches fouled off. That's not a number that a lot of people track, but it's a sign that you're kind of there and you're not all the way there. Um, this wasn't an outing where he was going to have nerves. Uh, you know, he's on the road. He's far from Pittsburgh. He already got the debut out of the way, got the stuff with the teammates out of the way. So, you know, one thing about Archer to keep in mind, I think, and this is important, uh, just because there was a bunch of hullabaloo and fuss on trade deadline day and the Pirates winning the trade deadline, they didn't pick up an ace. I, I've seen people go so far as to suggest that, you know, this is the new face of the franchise and stuff like that. I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you're talking about somebody who's got a 4.5 ERA. He's a good, reliable, extremely durable, which is valuable pitcher, but he's not a star. He's not, a, he's not somebody that, you know, you just put into a rotation and say, that's your ace. No, I thought that they got themselves a number two or three for this year. More mm-hmm. or less, uh, that's what I thought, and I appreciated the effort. But uh, if they don't do anything to get into the playoffs this year in terms of getting on a winning streak and leapfrogging all these teams in the wild card, then you know I think you were alluding to this point. It, it's still a cost-effective move for them because sure. they've got a two or three for next year. So you yeah. would take a it's for for three more years. He has he's under control, team control through 2021 and the last two years are club options that pay him 8.5 each year you would be happy paying your four or five starter that amount in those years so it's a really good deal in that sense i just i think that there was so much excitement about it that there was an irrational expectation that this is some star pitcher he's not that he's never been that if you're looking for someone or multiple someones to become your top of the rotation guys Look at the way Jamison Tyon is pitching right now, and I'm not just saying this because of the complete game at Coors Field last night, which is almost unheard of. Uh, I'm saying it because he's been pitching this way for a while. He has the stuff. He has the mental makeup. All he ever needed to do was stay on the mound. How about Joe Musgrove in his last four starts, Tim? Yeah, he's been really good, and uh, Tyon was definitely good last night. We were talking about the lack of complete games across baseball and how that can, well, actually how it directly ties into the trade that was made because Tyler Glass now might find himself as a, it sounds weird to say this, but a starter specialist. Like start really well for three innings. <laughs> yeah, only in and Tampa, get, right? Right, and then get yanked, right? <laughs> yeah, that's how it works down there right now. But you know what? Glass now has gotten strikeouts. He's working with a pitching coach down there whose name escapes me at the moment, but he's also very tall and has a history of working with pitchers who are very tall, who have a lot of moving parts and have their own challenges and complications. So, you know, does that mean that you would excuse uh, Ray Searage for not fixing Tyler Glass now while he was here? No, probably not, especially after watching Charlie Morton and Garrett Cole figure it out somewhere else. But there would at least be an explanation for why Glass now would have an advantage down there. Yeah, he's been pretty good. Dayon Kovacevic from DKPittsburghSports.com with us. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden today. Dayon will be with us tomorrow. Dayon, today we were talking about Sidney Crosby quite a bit. 
He turned 31 on, uh, what was it, on uh, Monday. So 31st birthday for Sid on 8-7. And I went back today in the Trib and did a long outline on other great players and what they did from year 31 on. And a lot of great individual accomplishments can still be had from 31 on. Uh, team accomplishments, a little tougher to come by. Even the greats who hung around for a while, like Gretzky and Lemieux and Yager and even Gordy Howe, uh, didn't get another Stanley Cup after the age of 30. Do you see one definitely in Sid's future? Most of the respondents I had to a web poll said that they are very much thinking that a 90% response rate, Dayon, that he's going to get himself another cup. Well, yeah. <laughs> you think you, you definitely think he's getting one more before he retires? I mean, I don't know about that. I, I think that if there's a separation, you mentioned it, it's interesting, and, and 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 I did see your piece that you break down the team concept because not a lot of people think about that. They they do look at the individual aspects, but from the team concept, I'll throw a, a, a curve back at you. When you look at the Chicago Blackhawks and the three cups that they won. Uh, with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and, of course, the, the great defensemen that they've had. Those guys right now are making way more than Sid and Gino, uh, meaning Taves and Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're each at 10.5. Now, in a cap league, that makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, Sid, of course, is at 8.7. I want to say Gino, off the top of my head, is at 9.1 or something to that effect. It's, it's not significantly higher than Sid's, but it is higher. Uh, that makes a huge difference, man. I mean, that, that in, 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 a, in a cap league, is it, it sets the cap really for the rest of your own team. You know, no one's going to make more than Sid and Gino around here, like ever. Right. And so when Chris Letang signs his deal, his is lower and so forth. You know, when they sign the rest of these guys, the Penguins are capable of having a supporting cast that I think is not going to fizzle as quickly as Chicago's did, uh, as Los Angeles's did. Um, and, and that's going to be a difference for the Penguins moving forward. You know, Sid and Gino are going to have to both, uh, but since we're talking about Sid here, Sid's going to have to reinvent himself to a degree. Uh, I'm reminded of something that he told me in Edmonton. Remember when the Sid and the kids line first got together and they were just like putting 20 shots a, uh, a game on net? Sid said something to me in Edmonton where, where we were joking about, you know, about how he's used to having line mates keep up with him. And he said, I'm having a hard time keeping up with these guys. Of course, he's talking about Jake Gensel and Connor Sheary uh, at the time. He might have to become more of the, the maestro uh, or, or the conductor of the orchestra as opposed to the one who's playing all the solos. And, yeah, he's going to have to become Eiserman, who he loved as a player. He's yeah. going to have to become Eiserman in 2002. Yeah, I, I mean, Eiserman became that complete, I mean, really complete, like dominant two-way forward, um, especially later in his career with Detroit. And uh, he, was able to, he was able to do things with his wingers that he hadn't done in the past. And, and Sid, you know, to his credit, has constantly, even in his younger years, not so much reinvented himself as he has just augmented his own game. So, yes. It, it can be done. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think you will too. I just I, I'm not yeah. comfortable like to the 90 percent clip that we were getting people saying either he would do it or he and Ben both would do it. What do you think about Ben? Does he have one more in him here in Pittsburgh? I think if it, I think it's this year. You think Honestly, they're going to win it this year? I, I, well, I'm I'm saying that it's this year or it's not. Yes, that part I agree with. Yes, I mean that, that's where that's where you get into the. Not so much regarding Ben and his offensive linemen, uh, but you're also, you know, 
looking at a 30-year-old Antonio Brown, a position that doesn't lend itself toward uh, him having constant separation for the rest of his career as he gets older. But the biggest one for me is Le'Veon Bell. I know nobody wants to hear that right now. We all like to pretend at the moment that Le'Veon isn't all that important and he can be replaced by James Conner or whoever else. It isn't true. It isn't true. You have the best running back in the NFL. You have a weapon like no one else. And everyone, including the quarterback and the offensive line, are accustomed to playing with him, even though he's an unorthodox player, and including his running style. You have to capitalize on that when it's there. To conclude, Dan, in the last 60 seconds here, give me a guy on offense and a guy on defense you're most interested in watching for the first preseason game. Uh, do I have to answer Mason Rudolph, even though that's so obvious? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll you can answer that. him. I, I would also answer James Washington because I, I think he's actually going to play. Yeah. So. I mean, James Washington, and I'm also going to be looking for, you know, to, to go a little off the rails here with you. Or actually, we're not allowed to say that Pittsburgh anyone, right? You're not allowed to go <laughs> off the rails. Politically incorrect. Um, I, I would say Chooks Okorafor is someone I'm looking at. He, he yeah, has that's fair. Had yeah, his, sure. He, he's had his good moments and his bad in camp. But they need offensive line depth, not just because of Ramon Foster's injury, but going into the long term. You want to see real live offensive linemen come up. Uh, defensively, I won't be able to take my eyes off Terrell Edmonds. I, I love what I've seen of him in camp. He's so mature, poised. Tim, you've seen and heard him out there. We both have. It's, it's like he's a veteran. It's like he's a young Carnell Lake, like just walking onto the field. Yeah, I'm on board. I'm going to watch him in Cam Sutton as well. I want to see how he's deployed and how he performs best in the different yeah. positions where they ask him to play. Dayon, thanks. We'll listen to you tomorrow. Thanks, Tim. All right, Dayon Kovacevic from DKPittsburghSports.com. He'll be on for Mark tomorrow. And I will be on DVE for the pregame show in advance of Steelers and Eagles preseason game number one. If you missed our clips from Hard Knocks focusing on Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, in the profanity lace tirade from Jarvis Landry, we will have them to conclude the show next day. On was brought to us by Walnut Grill here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius Mark Madden. Super genius, yeah. Mark, love the show. Well, if I won you over by imitating Dusty Rhodes, the man can dream. So be it, baby. The X at 105.9. Kyle Snyder is the six foot eight Tampa pitching coach. Blank to that one too. They and I had. Mutual brain lock there. All right, I have to do this fast before the end of the show, but I said I'd get it in one more time. If you, We have to watch Hard Knocks. It's got to be a rule. The Browns are so dysfunctional, they're making Todd Haley look like the protagonist. Uh, I guess no one is practicing in Cleveland. Minor injuries are keeping guys off the field. Guys are jaking it. Guys are, they're lollygaggers. They're lollygagging around the practice field. And it's making new Cleveland Brown, Jarvis Landry, very unhappy and he gave it to the wide receiving room for the first episode of Hard Knocks. If you're not hurt, like, if your hamstring ain't falling off the bone, your leg ain't broke, I don't know, like, you should be practicing. Like, straight up. Like, that is weakness, and that is contagious as And that ain't gonna be in this room, bro. That been here in the past, and that's why the past has been like it is, bro. That is over with here, bro. If you can practice, practice you can't get no better ain't nobody gonna get better by being on the sideline if you ain't hurt so that was 12 beeps in 34 seconds the full 90 second clip had 24 beeps and six bras from Jarvis Landry that was also the topic of conversation in the coach's room 
where Todd Haley was trying to tell Hugh Jackson, hey, if we're not going to suck this year, it's kind of important for us to get our guys on the practice field. I just, I, I have an opinion on it, and and we're we need to get so much done, you know. And and I know I said that to you, and we joke about it. But if we live in our fears, I mean, our team has to get mentally tougher and be able to fight through the shit that we got to fight through. We got to change this drastically. And if we got guys that haven't done sitting around doing nothing. You know, it, I just don't know how we're going to do it. Well, I respect you saying that. I mean, I used to sit in the same I mean, chair. Joe, let me I'm finish. Whoa, whoa, let me finish. I used to sit in the same chair as you guys sat in. And I used to feel the same way. I just want to kill them, okay, until all of a sudden I sat in this chair, and then they're not there. And you don't get them to practice. And you can't get them through, and then you don't have them for three weeks. And I'm not living in my fears. That's real. And I think we all can appreciate that. Anything else? Speak now, baby, your peace. Get it out. <clears throat> Guys, listen, I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm going to say it again, but the chair I sit in, a little different than the chair you guys sit in. I get to watch from a different lens. Okay, and I think you guys can all respect that. At the end of the day, I get to drive this bus, and I'm going to get it the way I want it. That's period. That's just how it works. Okay? Al, used to, Al taught me a long time ago. You know, what, what is it, Al? Give it to me. Your team, you do whatever the hell you want. It's your team, you do whatever the hell you want. Okay, so this one's mine. So that's just the way it's going to be. He's driving the bus, but he's driving it right into the lake. Haley ain't making it through September. He's going to be passed out, drunk in front of the Jake, regretting the day he put his name on that piece of paper to take that gig. He is already, you can tell. His reaction... The reaction of the other coaches in the room, 100% behind Haley, looking at Hugh like, what are we doing? What did we sign up for? Where are we? What have we done to deserve this? They are the Browns. They will always be the Browns. So long as Hugh Jackson is there, they'll never win another game. And I love it. And I will never miss another episode. Pino Restaurant and Cigar Bar, the city's best seafood and shop house, located in the Strip District, closing out the Mark Madden Show. Day on in tomorrow, I will talk to you on the pregame show at 3 o'clock on DVE, and then we'll get you ready for Steelers and Eagles, game one of the preseason, also on ESPN Pittsburgh upstairs as well. Thanks to Bob, thanks to Terrell Edmonds, Jeremy Fowler, and Dayon here on 105.9 The X.